Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We're really honored to have a special guest tonight that has a remarkably rigorous schedule. And for him to carve out time to be with us is very special. We honor former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He, um, he graduated at the top of his class from West Point. He became a, a part of the U.S. House of Representatives, representing the great state of Kansas. He then wanted, went on to become director of the CIA, <clears throat> and from there, Secretary of State, where uh, every time he spoke or made an action or did anything, he made us so proud of, of our country. Now, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was born in Southern California, but moved to Kansas. I was born in Kansas, he knows the town, Concordia, and moved to Southern California. I thought I was the smarter of the two, enjoying <laughs> the beaches. And then with Gavin Newsom, it turned out that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was the smarter of the two. But I gotta tell you, we are immensely proud of you, how you've represented our Lord and our nation. Thank you for being on the World Prayer Network. Well, thank you, Jim, Rosemary, Mar. Thank you for having me on. And I hope everyone will pray that I can continue to keep that weight off and stay healthy. It's been the struggle of a lifetime. <laughs> well, congratulations. We would like you just to open it up and talk about whatever's on your heart. And I'm giving you this broad title, The Condition of Our Nation, The Condition of Our World. Uh, we know very few people that are better qualified to respond to both than to you. We turn it to you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jim. Uh, and thank you all for joining me this evening. That is a that is a big title to fill in. So I thought I would start with perhaps three simple ideas, uh, some, some things that I think we can all see and perhaps uh, we can all continue to, to work on and pray for. Uh, th this has been uh, uh, 16 months since our administration left that has really proven uh, that prayer for our nation matters and we need to stay at it. Uh, we, we need it now more than ever. You can see it with the innocent lives lost in Ukraine and continue to be lost. You can see it in the 13 American soldiers who perished because of poor leadership that allowed 13 Americans to, to be killed as we departed that place. And for the first time in an awful long time, I could argue perhaps ever in American history, we knowingly left Americans on the battlefield. This is deeply immoral uh, and dangerous for all of us as our adversaries watch a failed capacity for those of us who believe in reason and right and contract and the Lord. Uh, those of us who believe in those things must lead. And in these cases, America defaulted to those who had a fundamentally different worldview and bad things happened. I, I, am, I am praying for America to continue to get this right. And I, like many of you, am, am working on that project as well. I am working to find good constitution-driven faithful men and women who are running for office. The election in November is just a few months off, uh, hoping that they will take up the cudgel, take up this hard work, they will pray, and that you all will pray for them, and we will successfully begin to reclaim the Judeo-Christian heritage that made us all so special and this nation so special. Uh, this is not partisan. This is not political. This is about biblical truth, and this is the third thing I thought I would open with. Uh, we've all been watching uh, the, the untruths that have been told to us for all of these past months, and indeed, 
for the last couple of years, we've been told that it's okay to shut down churches and leave bars open. We have been told that it's okay to tell parents that they ought not be able to know even what it is their children are learning in their schools. And we have been told that there are more than two genders. I don't think anyone of any political persuasion can argue that those are deeply immoral, deeply inconsistent with our American tradition and dangerous for the future prospects of each and every family here in the United States. You know, when, um, when President Trump took, took office, he brought around him uh, a group of people who uh, valued religious freedom, who wanted every man and woman all across the world to be able to practice their faith, or if they chose not to, to do that too, and not to let government interfere with that. And we worked, we worked tirelessly. Uh, the Religious Freedom Ambassador, Sam Brownback, the former governor of my great state of Kansas, Pam Pryor, these were amazing people who gave of themselves to serve the Lord and their country to help people all across the world have the opportunity to practice their faith. Uh, sadly, uh, much of that effort, much of the work we did has been abandoned these last 16 months, uh, a significant amount of it abandoned uh, for another faith, uh, a faith in climate change, right? It's almost an article of religion for them. Uh, we knew, we, we knew deeply that nations that permitted their people to practice their faith, whether they were Jews or Muslims, whether they were Christians or Baha'i, we knew that those nations presented less risk to the world and made life better and recognized human dignity for all of their peoples. I am saddened to see the regression in American leadership on that front. Uh, we also knew that prayer mattered. And I will, uh, I will close with, uh, with this idea. Uh, I've spent uh, the vast majority of my adult life working on the very set of issues that you are gathering around tonight. I was a deacon at my church at Eastminster Presbyterian in Wichita. I taught fifth grade Sunday school with my wife, Susan. We raised our son. Uh, and by the way, fifth grade Sunday school was excellent practice for running the State Department. If you can keep fifth grade boys in their seat and get them to memorize a Bible verse, that's pretty good leadership in its own right. Uh, we, uh, we, we, know that, we know that prayer matters. Uh, it was so deeply appreciated by me, by Susan, by our son, Nick. People would write us notes, send us text messages, send letters, or just when they passed us someplace, they would tell us that they were praying for us and for our nation. And it heartened us, it encouraged us. Because we knew that that word, the biblical word is truth. And we watch this administration. Now they have impaneled a commission on disinformation, trying to identify the truth, and we know where to find that truth. We know that we, we know that, that truth is not in the 1619 Project, but in our Bible. And I, uh, I had a Bible open on my desk, and I tried my best every morning to spend just a few minutes reading from it and praying, knowing full well that my task, I was America's 70th Secretary of State, knowing that full well that my task could not possibly accomplish just because of my hard work. I needed his help. I needed the Lord's help. And so I didn't get it right every day. Certainly, our administration didn't get it right every day, but we were faithful in our commitment to the Lord and to our country. And I think, I think we left America in a place that was closer to its biblical roots, its Judeo-Christian heritage, than it had been in an awfully long time. I am proud of that work, and I pray that we can all together continue to work and continue to pray so that we can advance the kingdom and our great nation as well. And with that, Jim, Rosemary, I'm happy to talk about just about anything you all might like to talk about. And I want to just say thanks again for all of your prayers for all of these years for me and for my family. Well, you are so welcome. We're immensely proud of you.
Talk to us about Ukraine, where you see that going, where we are right now, realistically, and where you see that going, and then tie right into that one, the issue of China and Taiwan. You, you spoke about uh, what is the condition of America uh, and, and indeed our place in the world. Uh, we can see the, the horrors that are being manifested from an evil tyrant uh, from Moscow who has frankly corrupted the Russian Orthodox Church in ways that are so deeply against his word. Um, I, am, I am confident that the Lord is crying, watching uh, the leadership of the Russian Orthodox Church sanction the murder of innocent Ukrainian people. Uh, as, a, as a military and strategic matter, the Ukrainians have done really remarkably. Uh, we have provided them with some of the tools, the Europeans have provided them with some of the tools that they need. I am, I am only disheartened by the fact that we have not done more and didn't do more quickly and are still allowing uh, much of Europe to be under the jackboot of Vladimir Putin, uh, still paying for Russian oil and Russian natural gas, which is providing resources and money for this regime that is so evil and continues its onslaught in places like uh, Odessa and in Mariupol and in Kharkiv. Uh, it is dangerous to provide this tyrant with money. I pray that the world will rise up and that the world will come to see that Vladimir Putin must be, must be, def must be permitted to suffer the full power of the Ukrainian people as they attempt to defend their sovereignty and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church is doing its part in the country as well. I'm so proud of all of them. Yeah. There's a, I ask this question in ignorance because I just don't know NATO or understand NATO. Does NATO have the backbone? Uh, does it have the capacity uh, to stand with Ukraine in the midst of this if needed? Uh, Jim, it's a, a good question. I wish I could answer a simple yes, but I don't know. Uh, we struggled to convince NATO that this threat was real. Uh, there's the very famous video of President Trump telling the commander, General Secretary Stoltenberg, the leader of NATO, you, you, you must prepare, you must spend your own treasure you must prepare your souls and your soldiers to defend the things that matter to your people and to preserve the capacity for religious freedom in Europe as well. And uh, we didn't make as much progress as I wished. We made some, but clearly not enough. And then without American leadership, you can see the results. I, I pray that NATO will do better. They've certainly over the last 10 weeks improved their performance, but they had for so long forsaken their duty uh, to their own people and to the greater NATO project, that it will take uh, many, many months for them to rebuild their capabilities so that they can withstand this. And I think Putin sees that. I think it's why he began to move when American leadership uh, abandoned the field, because he was convinced he could push back on NATO in a serious way. I pray that we get this right. I hope General Secretary Stoltenberg, who is a decent, good leader, can, can rally the Germans, can rally the French, uh, can rally the other NATO nations, uh, to provide the assistance that the Ukrainian people are going to need over the next weeks and months. With the support that uh, Biden is supplying and in NATO, does that give enough to the Ukrainian people to get Russia out of the eastern sector or south sector, or is it too little too late? So we're, we're probably in too little too late mode, unfortunately, to actually eject him from Luhansk and Donetsk, the places in the southeast, but it is we are fully capable of providing them the, the intelligence that they need, the tools that they need to ensure that Vladimir Putin doesn't take any more of the land and doesn't 
shut uh, Ukraine off from the Black Sea. It is their only access to grow their economy, and they're going to need that as we rebuild. And then we, of course, uh, Jim, have the challenge of the Ukrainian refugees now somewhere between four and a half and six million people who have had to flee their homes. Think of think of as much as 10 or 15 percent of the Ukrainian population in the United States. That'd be the equivalent of 30 or 40 million refugees that have had to flee their homes. Many of them have almost nothing to go back to. And so the Poles, the Romanians, the Hungarians have been most gracious. They have they have delivered in the most Christian way to take these refugees into their homes. It will take a Herculean effort on the part of every uh, freedom-loving Christian person in the world to help the Ukrainians rebuild over the coming years. And then I pray that they, at least many of the Ukrainians, will be able to return to the place they want to be, back in their homeland of Ukraine. China and Taiwan, where are we there? We are in a worse place with respect to religious freedom in China. It is horrific what's happening. Uh, We talked about you know, bars being open and churches closed in America. We have an entire city, a city, uh, the scale of New York, uh, completely shut down, people being denied food. This is uh, one of the greatest human rights violations uh, that the world has ever seen, all for the purpose of creating zero COVID. And then, of course, you all would know, and so many of you prayed alongside me for the Uyghurs, a million persons plus who are being held in internment camps in the western part of China, where women are being forced sterilized. Uh, being separated from their families and their children in one of the most horrific scenes we've seen since the 1930s. As for as for Xi Jinping, the general secretary, the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, um, he presents a far greater risk than Vladimir Putin. He has a much bigger economy, an equally capable, if not more, military, and he has the global intent, the intent to undermine the West. The central thesis of Jesus Christ is our savior and uh, reason and the rule of law and all of the things that the Bible teaches us are, are the most fundamental principles Xi Jinping wants to drive out of the United States. And sadly, he's made some progress in that. And what, as he does, as he makes that progress, the people of Taiwan are at greater and greater risk. Um, we did our best to provide them uh, with, we provided them with F-16s and air defense systems, and we helped them think about how they could strategically defend their nation and their sovereignty. Uh, we should go further. We should provide more tools. They haven't. They haven't asked for the 82nd Airborne. They don't. They don't want our Marines and our kids. Um, they want the tools and the weapons and the support that they need. And that should come not just from us, but from their neighbors: Japan, South Korea, Australia, uh, these uh, India. These are countries that have wealth and resources and the capacity to help Taiwan maintain its independence and its sovereignty. That's all that the decent people of Taiwan. The the freedom-loving people of Taiwan. They are not Marxist. They are not communist. They are freedom-loving. We ought to do our best to make sure that they can defend themselves for Xi Jinping's intention for them as well. In terms of ships and planes and nuclear capability and troop strength, what is the number one power in the U.S. in the world? Is it U.S. or is it China? It's still us. Uh, We still maintain superiority in nearly every one of the, uh, uh, the technologies that you just described. Uh, but the gap is very much closing, and there are a handful of places, technological places, that China, because they've built from scratch over the last 20 years, we have legacy systems, that there's a real risk. Uh, we saw them develop their uh, very high-end space systems called hypersonic. Uh, they're, they're a bit ahead of us there, and our capacity to defend isn't what it ought to be. Uh, they have built out some newer systems, 
And uh, the Biden administration to date has not demonstrated its resolve to make sure that we take, that we have, uh, as an example, we have a B-52 fleet. Uh, some of the folks on this call probably flew them or have flown in them. These planes are older than the pilots that are flying them today. <laughs> we need to refresh these systems so that we can continue to have the military capacity to push back against Xi Jinping's intentions. And I'll, I'll add one more thing. And I think, I think maybe the, the best way to articulate it or give examples is the other strength that America has always had is the resolve of the American people, the capacity for us to pray and join together in our communities all across America. We saw two different examples. We saw the Taliban begin to push on the Afghan army and the political leadership, the communities in Afghanistan abandoned the political stage, right? Ghani leaves the country and the military falls and the nation falls into the hands of these horrible Muslim extremists. In Ukraine, just the opposite happened. The church rose up, President Zelensky rose up. He said, I don't wanna ride, I want some weapons. America must maintain that that, uh, that integrity, that resolve, that understanding of the truth. And when we do, these tools of warfare uh, will be important, but more important will be the American people and our unity, our capacity to demonstrate to the world that we're prepared to defend our most sacred values. Shifting to the Southern border, I watched Mayorkas multiple times, including last week being interviewed in Congress, announcing over and over that the Southern border is so secure. Uh, talk to us about what we're facing there. What 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 is happening? Oh my goodness! You talk about disinformation, <laughs> right? To describe what is somewhere between half a million and a million illegal immigrants transversing our southern border each and every month. I I can assure you that had that happened on on my watch as Secretary of State, I would have been the former Secretary of State uh, pretty quickly, and frankly, appropriately so. Uh, and to, to gaslight America, to tell them that we have effective border control is the worst kind of disinformation. It is an outright lie. It is untrue. Uh, the dangers that flow from this are legion. That's why uh, the president sent myself uh, and uh, Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel to Mexico to negotiate the deal that became ultimately uh, remain in Mexico. Uh, we were protecting American sovereignty from all of the risks that flow when you have a open borders policy as the Biden administration has. Uh, we, we know it with the people, we know it with the human trafficking, these stories of the women that are trafficked across the northern states of Mexico would break anyone's heart. I know they broke mine. Uh, and then we now have, in addition to the, the challenge of the illegal immigrants themselves, we have the risks of terrorists coming across the border. And so many communities that I have traveled to over these last eight or nine months have told me that the price of fentanyl in their community is now so low and the spread of fentanyl traveling from China to Mexico to places like Iowa and Minnesota and to Nebraska and to South Carolina, the, the, the risk to those communities is staggering and these kids are being harmed. There are many, there's much loss of life. All of this as a direct result of simply abandoning a policy that was protecting America, I think in large part because it was the Trump administration's policy. I can, I can tell you for sure it wasn't because uh, their policy would protect and defend American sovereignty and keep keep America special and unique. I'm, I'm saddened we can get this back pretty easily. I pray that the Biden administration will uh, continue to evaluate uh, the, the dangers that are associated with and reverse course just as quickly as they can. Under your leadership, I'm, I have one more question. I'm going to go to Mario Bromnik for questions. Under your leadership, we have the ministerials at the State Department, uh, thanks to you 
and uh, Ambassador Brownback and Pam Pryor, who's on this call, uh, my wife, my sister and I and others are on this call. We're privileged to attend those, which were profoundly encouraging for the issue of religious freedom around the world. 80% of the population of the earth is in countries where they're religiously persecuted, and 80% of those are Christians. And you, uh, you led the charge on that. Anything you want to say about that topic before I go to Mario for a question? Oh, goodness, just this, these, these gatherings where we brought uh, leaders from all across America of every faith, leaders from all across the world of every faith, they were glorious. They were the largest human rights events ever held at the United States Department of State. And we had a great team. The vice president participated, Ambassador Brownback, Pam, built out these structures where we could come together and pray and fellowship and work on the things that could actually deliver better outcomes for people all across the world. And indeed here in America, they were really wonderful. And I am, I'm, I suppose I'm not surprised, but I am it's just so disheartening to see that that didn't continue after our departure, uh, with the good news being is that we are continuing to work to build out that same framework now outside of the United States Department of State so that we can continue to bring religious leaders, uh, clerical, clerical leaders, religious leaders, lay leaders all together to pray and to work for this very important idea of religious freedom around the world. Well, your leadership on that was was phenomenal. And, and then when the president went to the United Nations, we were there when he spoke on that topic. And he actually said you were there as well. And he, he said something to the effect in his speech, this is the first time a president of the United States has ever spoken on this topic at the United Nations. And he actually stopped and said something to the effect, I had this fact check to make sure that I couldn't believe that was true. Do you, do you remember that moment? Oh, and, I do. It, it, makes, it makes me feel good thinking about the fact that I was just a little small part of that. And I was able there to witness an American president speak at the UN on religious freedom. I hope every president as we move forward, will continue to do that. It's so important. Well, you were a small part. You were an wow. enormous part. There were many but, hands, many hands. Yeah. Uh, Mario, we go to you for some questions. Yes. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Secretary. Number one, on behalf of uh, Jim Rosemary, myself, and all that are watching, Thank you so much for your decades of service. Um, you make us proud, not only your service to America, but as a strong Christian shining forth, uh, uh, just the truth of our relationship with our Lord. Uh, it was an honor having you in Los Angeles in our Latino Coalition event with Cheon, and it's such an honor to have you here. Diplomacy in Ukraine, I mean, President Trump and under your leadership, um, what we saw on the Abrahamic Accords, just absolutely historic actions, what happened in North Korea. One, what would a President Trump administration do to try to de-escalate a situation that could in at any turn turn to World War III with nuclear uh, armaments being faced at us or China engaging in the war. I don't see anything being done. Uh, uh, is anything being done uh, led by the Biden administration? What would you and, and the Trump administration have done in this same situation if we if we went this far? Yeah. Well, it's hard to put these kinds of things back in the box. It's why the hard work always has to happen uh, while we're while the conflict has not yet begun. The demonstration of American resolve to achieve what President Reagan talked about, peace through strength, that, that's the central feature. When, when we're now where we are, it gets harder and harder. There are a handful of things that America could do. 
Some of them they may have done because they ought to be done in private. We should make incredibly clear that if Vladimir Putin escalates, uh, certainly with a nuclear weapon, but there are a lot of escalation things that he could do even short of that, that we should make very clear are unacceptable. And we should tell him precisely the cost that will be associated with that. We should, the most important thing that diplomats can do is achieve clarity and transparency about the costs associated with action. And that's what was lost. President Biden, right? President Biden said, well, a minor incursion is okay. And he, you know, they, had, they shut down an American pipeline and President Biden said, don't do that again. And the focus of American diplomats was on climate change, not on making sure that we defended America. When you, when you lose that, it is hard to get back. The, the Trump team would have had a fundamentally different approach. And even today, uh, I would be spending my time talking with my counterpart, Foreign Minister Lavrov, or the intelligence counterparts, Nerishkin and Bortnikov, or even with Putin himself, making very clear, your, your calculus is wrong. Cease these atrocities. And then we will begin to find a place that is orderly. Uh, I'm confident that we could have done that. I, I think we could still find a way to get this back. And I am very confident that we could prevent Vladimir Putin from escalating. I hope that not only will President Biden, but the leaders in Europe will do those things that will prevent escalation beyond the borders of Ukraine, even, or even to elements of power like a nuclear weapon, which will fundamentally change the course of history for an awfully long time. Biden, prior to uh, Russia uh, going into Ukraine, uh, did not uh, place sanctions as a deterrent. Are there any interests within the United States for this to escalate into a greater world war? I just don't understand why we're not seeing diplomacy, why there's not an attempt to try to bring down the, uh, the, the risk uh, towards a, a World War III. I, I hope it's happening quietly because I would agree with you, Mara. I've not seen uh, true public efforts to achieve an outcome uh, that is fundamentally different than what looks like the the trajectory, right? Uh, continued fighting, continued escalation. Uh, Putin moves some troops from one place, but then they reappear another, still determined to take all of Ukraine and at some point uh, go even further. I, I pray that this is happening. Uh, it's uh, it's it's necessary. And we have to begin to take down all of the elements of risk that you've just described. It's not impossible to think one's way through how that would occur. And I, I pray that the Biden administration and some of some of the leaders in Europe are actually engaged in that effort. And that we just simply aren't able to see it because they're doing it in quiet. I've seen no evidence of that, but I pray that it is true. Uh, Russia's retaliation for the United States and its current efforts in helping Ukraine. What do you think? Um, obviously, they're capable of anything. Is there knowing Russia as you do, knowing the leaders, their own concern, maybe not to get involved in World War III? I don't know. Um, uh, what kind of uh, things might might we experience, uh, whether in our with our grid? We're very concerned yeah. with our grid, uh, computer hacking, uh, et cetera. Yeah. So, so Putin uh, is evil and an authoritarian, but also, in my judgment, still entirely rational. And as a rational actor, I, I pray that he understands that if there were a significant attack on a U.S. interest, not just here in the homeland, but you can imagine in space, you can imagine uh, on our soldiers that are stationed in Syria or around the world that are not too far off from Russia, if he began to attack a true American interest in that way, 
uh, I, I hope he understands that his, the cost that would be imposed on him would be real severe and immediate. Um, I hope he also understands that there's a path that looks different from that. And that's the art of diplomacy, trying to strike that understanding so that a leader, someone like Putin can get it. Look, he, um, he wants two things. He wants greater Russia and he wants to stay in power himself. Those are, those are the twin objectives for Vladimir Putin, both uh, pretty venal objectives, uh, both evil objectives. Uh, I, I pray that he comes to see that those are deeply connected, that, uh, that his efforts to get one could risk uh, either or both of them. And so for that reason, he will see that an attack on something that is central to Europe or central to the United States would risk him failing to achieve either or both of those objectives. My last question, just shifting to election integrity, I had asked you the same question in California. We've had several programs. We actually started with prayer, uh, a global prayer for election integrity uh, on the World Prayer Network. We had Hogan Quigley and Chad Conley here and others. Um, while we see there is some efforts to try to secure election integrity in some states, I personally am still very, very concerned that it's not fully secure <laughs> And when you see the actions of the Biden administration, one catastrophe after another, such a drop in the polls, they're not acting like there's a there's an elections in November. They don't seem to care. Uh, the fiasco in Afghanistan, et cetera, et cetera. Dominion machine, uh, there was no accountability. They were not allowed to talk about it or question that, whether that was real or not. Can we have fair elections in 22? We can but it's gonna take hard work from people all across this country to get it right. Mar, you, you, this is a really important point. When the American people come to distrust American elections, that if Sally says she's the city councilwoman or Joe says he's the county commissioner or uh, somebody else says, I know I won this election for Congress or for the Senate in, in November of this year, we need to have confidence that that's true. And what we saw happen in 20, 2020 was that we undermined that confidence with late rule changes by courts stepping in to do things that they had no authority to do, all reducing certainty around our election. And so I think your point's well taken. I've seen a handful of states do some really good work to shore up their election processes. I've seen a handful of other states not lift a finger to do that, and I am very worried. We know how to do this, right? We could do a few simple things in every state. Start with voter ID. Start making sure that every single ballot that's cast gets cast by someone who is a lawful voter in the United States. This is not a hard concept. Uh, happens in every walk of life that you have to show ID. Second, absentee ballots are dangerous. Uh, maybe they're appropriate for soldiers who are stationed overseas. I was a young soldier not too terribly long ago, but massive mail-in ballots for people who have just said, you know what, I don't, I'm not going to take the time to execute my civic duty to show up at a at a balloting place, um, that presents an enormous amount of risk that there will be ballots that are of unknown origin and create risk, not only that you get the wrong outcome, that the perception of a wrong outcome is real. We have to get this cleaned up. We can't change rules. We can't all of a sudden say we're going to have boxes that you can drop ballots in in certain parts of a state of Texas or state of Georgia and not in others. Those are things that undermine the central thesis of America is that we elect our leaders and then hold them accountable. Um, I think we'll have a good election in 2022. I pray that we will, but there remains an awful lot of work that not only do our state elected officials need to engage in, but uh, those, uh, those candidates need to make sure they have their people at the polling places, at the ballot boxes where they're being counted, all of those things to make sure 
that the risk of an insecure or an election that is not filled with integrity takes place. I, I'm praying that we get it right. Thank you so much, Mr. Secretary. Back to you, Jim. Thank you, Mario. We have a, our, our, the, Mr. Secretary has a very hectic schedule. We have a hard stop coming in a moment. I want to go right to prayer for him and honor him. But I say to you one more time, sir, when we had you as Secretary of State, we felt like we could sleep good at night. But I cannot tell you, uh, every, everybody I know is I know, so proud of you, thankful for your integrity, your leadership, your intelligence is quite staggering. We're immensely honored to have you on this call tonight. Thank so you. we're going to go with a prayer right now. Jurgen Matesius, would you lead in prayer right now? Are you able to bring on your video, uh, Jurgen, and, uh, and pray for uh, Secretary of State? And then we go right to Pam Pryor. Absolutely. Be my honor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mike Pompeo. We thank you for your hand upon his life. Father, we thank you for your hand upon his family. We thank you, Father, for not only just great grace around him right now, but we thank you for divine wisdom. Father, we know that you give wisdom to those who call upon you. Father, you gave wisdom to Solomon. Father, we ask that the wisdom of Solomon would be made accessible and available to your servant, Mike Pompeo. Father, we thank you, Lord, that even right now, while there's a different administration, in the White House, we thank you that, that Mike's voice and his influence and his leadership, his wisdom and integrity still play a very, very pertinent part in the shaping and the saving of, of not just this great nation, but the nations of the world. Father, we see as evil has overtaken in our nation, that the world is, is in a mess. It's in a crisis. But Father, I thank you, Lord God, that you are raising up warriors, righteous warriors like Mike Pompeo and those on this call who are pushing back the darkness, pushing it back against evil agendas so that peace could pervade our time. Father, we know that wickedness does not go away, that it must be confronted, it must be combated, and it must be pushed back. So Father, I thank you right now, Lord, in this hour and this time, Lord, for those around Mike Pompeo, that they would find courage, that they would rise in this hour. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for a church that is turning to you, a church that was turning to wokeness and weakness instead is now turning back, calling upon the Lord Most High, that you are moving in this hour, moving in this time. Father, I thank you for Dr. Jim and Rosemary. Father, continue to bless them as they continue to lead pastors and leaders right around not just this nation, but nations around the world. We ask all these things in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And Father, I continue that prayer and just say amen to everything that Pastor just said. And Lord, I just want to give, um, just pro provide a special blessing over Susan and Mike and Nick and his family. Lord, protect him, protect his marriage, protect him physically, Lord, from those who still wish to do harm to him. And Father, we just pray Psalm 91 over him, Lord, and, and even on his health, Lord, we know that you want healthy warriors. Yes. Uh, your desire for Mike is to be healthy, and Lord, we just pray that you would work there. And Father, it is, um, it's just sad to have unfinished business in our hearts. So Father, I, I pray especially right now for the staff that's currently around him, for Brett and Jim and Hattie and Victoria and Morgan and others, 
Lord, give them wisdom too. And more than anything, help Mike to know that his time is in your hands. And as it says in Ephesians 3.20, that the plans you have for him are better than any that we could all dream of. No matter what the highest thing that we can think and want for Mike right now, Lord, your way is better. And Jesus, you reign above everything. So Lord, you know what his future holds. You know what he needs. You know what you need him to do. And Lord, we just ask for an open portal in heaven for that to happen. Use him as an ambassador, Lord. First for you, make a desire in his heart to know you in this time when he does not have to go to a government building every day, Lord. Just give him that extra time to just enjoy your presence. And Lord, finally, um, politics can be so dirty and messy. And Father, I pray you keep him from a cynical heart. Lord, I keep you from keep him from arrows from others, um, sometimes within our own ranks. And Lord, I just pray that you preserve him and that you would just, um, just give him your wisdom, Lord. And we just ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, Michelle Bachman, can you unmute just enough and come on your video just to say, uh, as we let, as we let the secretary of state go in just a moment, just bring a greeting. I know the Two of you are very, very close friends and work together extensively. Uh, Michelle, are you able to unmute? They have a muting problem. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? We sure can. Okay. Uh, we, we've got one more thing uh, for the Secretary of State, but I wanted you to have a moment just to say a goodbye to him as he's leaving. <laughs> well, I, all I can say is that we have been in the presence of greatness. And I say that absolutely, truly. We were so blessed to have Mike Pompeo as the Secretary of State. We would be so blessed if he was our President of the United States. There's really, when, when you consider top shelf people, it is tough to get higher than Mike. Mike would never say it. Mike, Mike will, is embarrassed. I've embarrassed him. But I want you to know, uh, up close and personal, working together in the Congress, traveling together, this is a mighty man of God but he's a mighty man on earth that God has used for his praise and his glory. Let's continue to pray for him, continue mm -hmm. to pray for his future. God has, we would be so blessed if God would continue to use him to lead in the United States. So I love you, Mike, you know that. And um, my prayers are with you almost every single day. Michelle, I love you too. And Pam, I love you as well. Thanks for those kind words. And Pam, Pam who prayed a moment ago, worked closely with the secretary for an extended period of time. So <clears throat> I'm going to have you, as you leave, I want you to hear, I, I just felt the Holy Spirit told me to ask Alma Rivera from New York City, when I spoke about the, this new citizen who loves the United States, just to speak a declarative word over you and then start a song. And then you can leave any time in the song that you need to. But I wanted you to go out with that moment of inspiration, that declaration from her. You listened to Pastor Jurgen Matesias from San Diego a moment ago praying for you. Now Alma Rivera in New York, speak a word of declaration just for a moment, start a song, and then he's got to go to another appointment. It's an honor for me to, to speak and that Mr. Pompeo is an honor to meet you. And I declare this word over you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be grace to you. I speak blessings over you, over your family, over your kids, protection, provision, and I really believe the favor of the Lord is upon you. In the Thank name you. of Jesus. Bless I'm you. I'm going to worship.
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.